All the masks are coming off in the mainstream media. Bill de Blasio continues to posture as his citizens die, and the Supreme Court rules against President Trump on his tax returns. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your online activity should not be public. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Ben. All righty, so let's begin today with a simple fact. The masks are off in the media. There are no more masks. All the masks are gone because President Trump has basically unmasked the media. Now, everybody on the right has been complaining for literally decades that the media are biased because the media are biased and their bias has been obvious and clear. And this does go back all the way to Walter Cronkite declaring that the Tet Offensive was a massive loss for the United States, despite, despite the fact that the United States actually crippled the North Vietnamese militarily during the Tet Offensive. The media have long had a liberal bias, but now the masks are completely off and members of the media are making it absolutely clear that the masks are completely off. And this holds in virtually every area of American life. It's truly incredible. I've never seen media coverage this bad. And it was really bad during 2016. And it was really bad in 2017 when all we got wall to wall for two years was Russian collusion scandal stuff, right? Now it's as though the media have just decided, you know what? We hate Trump so much. We hate people on the conservative side so much. We are just going to manipulate data and lie with the data and just lie with abandon. It's really, truly incredible. And this holds on every topic. It holds from race relations in the United States to the economy. It holds from COVID-19 to everything that is constitution and history related. Like the media will just lie to you. And then they'll, they'll proclaim it journalism, right? The 1619 Project, we put out there as journalism when it is nothing but propaganda. And narratives will be promulgated about how America is a deeply systemically evil, terrible, racist place, even when the evidence for that is incredibly scanty. The media have an agenda, and they are making that agenda clear every single day. It's incredible. It's on every topic. Let me take a topic that really should not be political, for example. Let me take the topic of what's going on with COVID-19. So right now, there's a big spike in the number of cases that we have seen in places like Texas, Arizona, California. Right? We've seen these big spikes really across the Southwest and then in Florida as well. We've seen some spikes in Georgia too. We've seen an increase in caseload. Now, normally, when you are examining what exactly is the factor leading to the spike in caseload, what you might want to do is actually correlate the data. So for example, if you are seeing a big spike in caseload and it is coming eight to 10 weeks after the reopening, maybe, just maybe, it's not the reopening that is causing this. Maybe, just maybe, the most significant factor you might posit might be something like, are people spending lots of time indoors with air conditioning? Did it get so hot down south that everybody went in their houses or went out to public places, went to restaurants, and instead of eating outdoors, they ate indoors. Instead of hanging out with their friends on the beach, it was too hot, they went inside and they hung out at a bar, right? Wouldn't that be a factor that you would spend more time on? And in fact, the data tends to support this suggestion because if you actually look at many of the states that reopened at the same time, for example, Colorado and Georgia, they've had wildly variant caseloads. So Colorado reopened literally the same day, I believe, the same week for sure as Georgia and got no attention for it because, of course, the governor of Colorado is a Democrat and the governor of Georgia is a Republican. And so Georgia was going to be the place where everyone dies, right? Everyone's going to die in Georgia and Colorado doesn't exist, right? It stopped existing the minute that they did the same thing as Georgia. Well, Georgia, since the, since the reopening, it has now been nearly three months since the reopening in Georgia, according to the New York Times, they have started to experience an uptick in cases, right? They're about 245% in cases, which is a significant uptick in the number of cases. And they're starting to see more people hospitalized and more people who are going to ICUs. Now, is it an incredibly massive number of people who are doing this? It's not, a, it's, it's not thousands of people. It's not several hundred people who are dying in ICUs in Georgia right now. 
The day-on-day death toll in Georgia is still below 100 last time I checked. Okay, but with all of that said, they are seeing a spike. But you know who's not seeing a spike and opened at the exact same time is Colorado. Right? Colorado is not seeing a spike. Colorado is down 41%, according to the New York Times, in average daily cases. So what the hell is going on? Right? We don't know what the hell is going on. The answer is probably that Colorado in the summertime is quite nice. And Georgia in the summertime is sweltering. And so people in Georgia are going indoors and they are hanging out in crowded places indoors with lots of air conditioning. That is the most likely scenario here. That is the, that is the probable rationale for why we are seeing all of this happening. Is it, or at least it's, it's a much better rationale than the reopening because the reopening really does not in any way reflect the, the sort of delayed statistics that we are currently seeing. By the way, the actual statistic on daily new deaths in Georgia not only well below 100, well, well below 100, like below 30 daily deaths in Georgia all of last week. I think yesterday it was it was eight. The day before that, it was 23, according to worldometers. Okay, so this mass spike that you are seeing in cases is not correlated with mass, mass deaths in Georgia. You're seeing increased deaths more so, not in Georgia, more, more so in, in Florida, more so in Texas, more so in California, where you're seeing over 100 daily deaths in places like that. So is it the reopening? According to the media, it is the reopening. And this is where you see the mask absolutely coming off. So the, the New York Times round piece called, the U.S. surge is being driven largely by states that move to reopen early. And then they have a chart. And it shows places like Florida, Arizona, South Carolina, Texas, Georgia, highlighted on this chart, right? Because those are all the places that reopened early. A few places that are not highlighted on the chart are places like California that has also seen a spike. In fact, a spike that is similarly sized to Georgia's, but they're not highlighted. Why aren't they highlighted? The reason they're not highlighted, because... LA didn't really reopen. LA never reopened, right? California has not been reopened very long at all. And they are seeing a spike as big as Georgia's after a shorter period of time. So it doesn't, it doesn't help the narrative the media are trying to push that it's the evil Republican states that are causing all of this. And the way that you know how corrupt the media are on all of this is that the same chart from the New York Times highlights New York. So it shows Florida plus 1,393% in daily, in daily cases, in daily identified cases. Arizona, up 858% in daily identified cases. By the way, largely in border areas. There is a serious issue with people who are coming across the border specifically to go to American hospitals because the, because the, the infection rate in Mexico right now is extraordinarily high. And then it shows New York. New York down 52%. Well, what did they do right? What could New York have possibly done right? Okay, the actual answer, what did New York do right? Everyone died. That's the actual answer. Okay, the, the, the reason that it's incredible to watch the media retcon this whole thing in real time. It's unbelievable, actually. I mean, like there was a, a tweet that was put out. Scott Gottlieb, who's been a guest on my Sunday special, he suggested the U.S. approach on COVID is a tale of two cities. Some states like Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts sought to crush the virus. Some like Florida, Texas, and Arizona sought the Swedish model and tried to manage spreads of the less vulnerable. Without a more uniform U.S. approach, it'll be hard for either strategy to work. Okay, from just that tweet, you would think that there were some states that attempted to crush the virus and there were some states that sought to manage the spread and then they've ended up kind of roughly equivalent or something like that. Right? Or even that the ones that are crushing the virus, they're, now they're crushing the virus, man. They've made it. They've crushed the virus. Hey, what actually happened? The northeastern states like New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, the ones that went into full lockdown mode, everyone died. Okay, not because of the lockdowns, but because it was there early. They didn't know what to do with it. They were sending COVID patients back into nursing homes. Like half the patients who died in these cases were, were nursing home patients, basically. People who are in elderly or assisted living facilities. Hey, let me give you the actual stats on the quote-unquote crush the curve people versus the maintain the spread people. Because right now, remember, 
all focus in the United States is on Texas, Florida, Arizona, right? That's where all the focus is right now, all of it, okay? It is not like there is some focus on New Jersey or New York, where, by the way, cases continue to crop up in New York. There's still 500 to 1,000 daily cases in New York that are happening every single day. And if you look at these states where there's still mass levels of death, just going to note, New York still ranks like number, number six on this chart. New Jersey had over 100 deaths yesterday. Is anyone talking about New Jersey? In order of, in order of deaths yesterday, it goes California number one. California had 137. No one's mentioning California. Florida number two, it's according to Worldometers. New Jersey is number three. So two of the top three are blue states, right? But you don't hear California and you don't hear New Jersey. New Jersey had over 100 deaths yesterday. Texas is number four behind New Jersey at 102. Arizona's number five at 75. Then New York at 32. Then Virginia, which is now blue, at 32. Then Pennsylvania, which is now blue, at 31. Right? Then you've got Massachusetts, which is blue, at 25. Okay, then you get down into Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina. Okay, so that list does not suggest that red versus blue is the deciding factor here, right? You're seeing it in red states and you're seeing it in blue states. You're seeing it in lockdown states and you're seeing it in non-lockdown states. What does this actually suggest? It suggests that when the virus goes around, it kills everybody who's vulnerable. And the only thing you can really do is protect the vulnerable. That's really what it suggests. And the less time you can spend in confined areas with people breathing from the same air conditioning facilities, the better off you are. That's all this suggests. It doesn't suggest even that masking is the particularly effective factor, right? Maybe masking works. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it slows the spread. Maybe it's, the evidence on this is actually kind of mixed. Okay, it, it, by the way, the, the going medical wisdom up until 2016, 2017 is that wearing masks to prevent the spread of flu, for example, was not supremely effective. So there's some evidence that suggests, sure, it helps stop the spread of this thing, particularly if you're in close quarters for not huge periods of time. But it is also true that a lot of the particles do escape the mask and all the rest of this sort of stuff. So I think that clarity here in what we don't know is actually quite useful. But the media are attempting to drive a narrative, and so the media are just being dishonest about all of this stuff. Right? The suggestion that lockdowns are the key and that we should re-lockdown because lockdowns are the key is absolutely anti-data. Okay, there is not enough data to support this perspective. Let me give you the total deaths by state. Okay, total deaths by state. Because remember, we're told that some of these states, Texas, Florida, Arizona, you're doing it wrong. You opened up too early. Georgia, you did it. You opened up too early. New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, you locked it down, guys. You were really solid on this stuff. Wait until you hear the differential in deaths in these states. Okay, because what that would suggest is um, kind of not. Okay, let me explain in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that solid personal finance right now, it has never been more important. The economy is in absolute flux. Maybe it's in shambles. Maybe it's in recovery. Who the hell knows? But the bottom line is you must be on top of your own personal finances at this point in time. Don't let your personal finances get you down. Simplify by Quicken is here to help. You can start healthier financial habits and achieve your long-term goals with Simplify by Quicken. Simplify makes it easy to see the big picture, stay on top of your spending, and save like a pro. Say goodbye to surprise charges from subscriptions you forgot you signed up for. Simplify by Quicken makes it easy to monitor all your spending so you're never in the dark. You're right on top of your own data in granular fashion. Other financial apps primarily track what's already happened in the past, but Simplify helps you plan for the future. You can get personalized tips and insights to help develop healthy long-term habits and stay on top of your finances now and forever. Start your free 30-day trial of Simplify today when you download our app or visit simplifymoney.com slash Shapiro. That's S. I-M-P-L-I-F-I, money.com slash Shapiro. Simplify with an I at the end, money.com slash Shapiro to start your free 30-day trial of Simplify today and get control of your personal finances. Technology can help you out in a time like this. Go check out Simplify Money with an I at the end, Simplify 
money.com slash Shapiro for the free 30-day trial when you download the app. Okay, so here are the actual death statistics from each of these states. Because remember, the narrative of the media is, that was the New York Times' headline, not my headline, the New York Times' headline, current spike being driven by states that reopen. It's the lockdowns that, that caused all of this, right? The end of the lockdowns is what has caused all of this. Never mind the fact that the media were literally cheering on mass protests in the streets, in state after state across the country among young people, and then showed, surprise, surprise, a bunch of young people ended up sick with COVID. Who could have predicted such a thing? Who could have, except for everyone with half a working brain? But again, that, that stark divide the media are trying to draw between good blue states, good, excellent blue states, and bad, evil, anti-lockdown red states where they don't believe in science. Okay, let me give you the actual deaths per state, and then I'll give you the population-adjusted deaths per million. Okay, deaths by state. New York, 32,343. They have a population of 19.5 million. New Jersey, 15,522. Total population of New Jersey, 8.9 million. Massachusetts, 8,268. Total population, 6.9 million. Connecticut, 4,348. Total population, 3.5 million. Okay, so some of those states you haven't even heard about, right? You've heard a lot about New York and New Jersey because those were the big headlines. Who knew that Massachusetts had had over 8,000 deaths? 8,000, that's a lot of deaths, guys. Okay, who knew that Connecticut, which is a tiny postage stamp of a state, who knew that Connecticut, gorgeous state, but only 3.5 million people live there, had had over 4,000 deaths? Who knew that? That's a big number for a very small state. Now, here by contrast are your evil, terrible, no good, very bad, anti-lockdown states. You ready? Texas, with a total population of 29 million, 10 million higher than New York, Right, it has the population of New York and New Jersey combined. Does Texas has a bigger population than New York and New Jersey combined? Remember, New York and New Jersey have had a combined total of nearly, at this point, approaching fifty thousand deaths in those two states. Texas, with a total population of twenty nine million, is at three thousand forty six deaths as of today. Florida, with a total population of twenty one point five million, which is again two million higher than New York State, has about four thousand deaths right now. Arizona which has 7.3 million citizens, which is a population slightly larger than that of Massachusetts by about 400,000, has 2,000 deaths. Okay, so who crushed what curve now? Who's done it like a great job? Here's a quick list of the deaths per million by those populations, okay? New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut in the one group, and then Texas, Florida, Arizona in the other group, right? Because we're, we're now following the media's narrative. The media's narrative is that the second group is the evil group. The second group did it wrong. They didn't lock down long enough. And maybe we need to go back to lockdown because lockdown is the key, right? Okay, New Jersey, here are the, the deaths per million population by state. New York, 1,663. New Jersey, 1,748. Massachusetts, 1,200. Connecticut, 1,200. Texas, 105. Florida, 187. Arizona, 280. So in other words, the lockdown, lock it all down, we're going to crush the curve, flatten the curve states, have a death rate per million that is somewhere between eight and 15 times as high as the evil, no good, very bad Texas, Florida, Arizona states. Okay, so maybe that's going to change. Maybe that'll change, right? We don't know. We don't, maybe this is a time lag. Maybe the reality is that as the summer goes on, many more people will die in Texas, Florida, and Arizona. What is one thing you certainly cannot justify at this point? You cannot justify the argument that lockdowns themselves were the key to answering this question because they clearly weren't in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. They clearly were not. A far more plausible theory is that the population was subjected to the virus at mass numbers and a lot of people died. And now the r naught has basically declined because now there are not enough people to infect other people. Because once a significant percentage of your population's already had this thing, 
well, then you've reached some level of quasi-herd immunity. At least you've slowed the spread. There are two ways to slow the spread, right? One is to prevent people from getting the infection in the first place. The second is you take people off the board. Unfortunately, tragically, either many people died from this thing or they were infected and then they, and then they recovered, right? And now they can't pass the thing. But the media are so invested in the narrative that they are willing to sell you a basic lie. And that's incredible. That's incredible. And again, the basic lie is driven in pursuit of a broader agenda. And that broader agenda is we got to keep everything shut down. Everything has to be shut down. And if you mention that the schools, you might want to open them. If you suggest that companies should remain open, well, then you're the bad guy. Now, let's be real about this. At no point along this entire way is anyone in the media being honest with you that there is no alternative by which we all remain locked down until a vaccine is available. That is not an alternative. It is not a thing that is going to happen. It's not happening in Europe. France has already announced they're not going back into lockdown. If they go, if they, if they start to have another uptick, they're not going back into lockdown, right? They're just going to move with mitigation. Canada has basically suggested the same thing. The idea that everybody's going to go back into lockdown until a non-existent vaccine that may never arrive properly is going to save us all from the deus ex machina style. Like, I wish, I wish, you wish, we all wish, right? But that doesn't have anything to do with reality. The reality is we're all going to have to learn how we live with this thing. And this brings up the question of schools, which we're going to get to in just a second. Okay, again, all of this tied into a broader narrative about the media's newfound honesty in their dishonesty. Right now, they are, they're, they're still, it's amazing. They're still claiming objectivity at the same time they are openly promoting particular points of view. And, like openly, not hiding it anymore. We're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about if you are web browsing without a VPN to protect yourself, you're being a fool. I know many of you are thinking right now, ah, but I use incognito mode. Okay, incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you cleared that browsing history, your ISP can still see every single website you've ever visited, which is why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast, ISPs in the United States can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background. It's easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you are now protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there really is no excuse for you not to be using it. It's always a good idea to protect yourself from bad actors, hackers, people who want your data, your information. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Ben. You can get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Go check them out right now. Okay, so the, the media's narrative on a lot of this stuff is, is obviously driven by politics more than it is driven by data. The reality is that hospitals are indeed seeing an increased burden. We are not seeing the hospitals being overloaded. Even in New York, by the way, where, where it got really close to being overloaded, they were actually not overloaded with COVID, right? A lot of the facilities ended up going empty, the new facilities that were built. One Houston ER doctor, right? Things are bad in Houston. One Houston ER doctor said, you know, you guys really stop need to making, you need to stop making the comparison to New York because it's ain't New York, right? We are seeing an uptick in cases and we are seeing an uptick in hospitalizations, but we have resources. This is not New York. I think everybody's worried about, you know, the continued escalating cases and what happens then. But today we are we are full, but we are we are making new beds and we are pulling more people into work and staff those beds. So that's where we're at. It's certainly not as bad as it was in yeah. New York City. And my colleagues there um, okay. went through. I, I, 
it's horrifying what they went through. We are, we are not at that point. Um, that being said, everybody wants to prevent us from getting to that point. So we're also asking everyone right. to please stay at home if possible and wear a mask. Okay. So again, the, the, the notion that we should be worried is correct. The notion that we are about to be overwhelmed New York style. And remember, the, the goal of flattening the curve for the one millionth time was never to prevent the spread. Okay, the, the goal of flattening the curve was, was to prevent the system from being overwhelmed. We are not seeing that right now. Okay, so this has also opened up a whole conversation about whether we should reopen the schools. Now, what the data suggests is that kids are not getting this, particularly young kids. Young kids, if you're under the age of 20, the statistics suggest you are more at risk from the flu than you are from this. It is less deadly to kids under the age of 20, to, to young people, than the flu. Okay, we don't cancel school because of the flu. We don't. Like, on rare occasions, I have seen stories about schools being canceled because of the flu. That, that is a very, very rare circumstance. What people are really worried about are the teachers. Right? They're really worried that the teachers are going to come in, and you got a 50-year-old math teacher gets infected with COVID and dies from, from one of the students. And that's a legit worry. Right? It's legit to worry about the teachers. But we have this bizarre situation where now everybody is staying at home. But kids are going out and playing with their friends. Many of them are going to summer camp. And then you basically have de facto school, right? You have de facto kids getting together with counselors. And then they come home and their parents are older. Like, the, in other words, a lot of this doesn't make any sense. So President Trump has said, listen, we should open the schools. What we are seeing right now with vast numbers of kids, like literally 40% of kids apparently in, in Los Angeles never even did one Zoom session in school during the last school year. So when things shut down, they just were like, okay, well, I guess it's summer. And it was the middle of March, right? So the, the, the idea that we're going to have an entire another school year where people are going to school for two days a week, where four-year-olds are socially distancing and this kind of thing, like that, that is really not a possibility. And there have been some columnists in the New York Times who are not of the right saying, listen, what are you going to do for like single moms who have to work, right? They have to work. What, what, what's your plan here? Because you're basically suggesting that they have no childcare. Remember, school isn't just a place where kids learn. It is also a place where parents drop off their kids and then go to work. So what exactly happens here? So it seems like schooling is kind of vital. And it also seems like one of the only things we know about this disease is that it does not strike kids. Thank God, thank God, right? That it's one of the only things we know, which would suggest that maybe some creative solutions could be in the offing. So for example, why not have schools? My, my friend John Podhoritz on the Commentary Podcast Magazine, which is definitely worth the subscription. You should go listen to it. John Podhoritz has made the suggestion. I think it's a smart suggestion. Why not have schools where kids go to school and you have 21-year-old out of college proctors, basically. And then the teacher zooms in. Why is it that the teacher has to zoom into all their kids in their own homes? Why not let the kids go to school? Right? Then, then you, you have sort of the best of both worlds, and you have younger teachers who are there who are likely not going to be infected with this in a very serious way. Right? You have a bunch of, if you're 21 or 22, you're not dying from this thing on a statistical level. There are very some people will die. That's a real, real, real exception, statistically speaking. And why isn't that on the table? But the idea is if you even mention opening schools, it's because you don't care about the children. Well, but kids aren't dying from this. What the hell are you talking about? What you're really talking about is protecting the teachers. Okay, fair enough. But you don't shut down the schools to protect the teachers, right? If the education is for the students, what you do is you make sure that the students can go to school and then you let the teachers Skype in. Right? Why is this off the table? So Trump mentions this and all hell breaks loose. We have to open our schools, open our schools. Stop this nonsense. We open our schools. Germany, Norway, so many countries right now, they're open. The schools are open and they're doing just fine and they're opening in the fall. So we have to get our schools open. Denmark, Sweden, we have to get our schools open. Okay, so people are saying, yeah, but all those places have this thing under control. And that's true. 
That's true. It makes things a lot easier when you don't have a large baseline of cases. Right? That's true. But it is also true that the rate of kids dying from this thing is, is the same across the world, right? And that is extraordinarily, extraordinarily low. So then you have Nancy Pelosi just demagoguing this thing, right? Nancy Pelosi says, we don't want our children risking school. The kids aren't at risk, okay? They're the only subgroup of the population who are at lower risk for this thing than, than they are of the flu. But here's Nancy Pelosi. I mean, this is just lying with, with not even real statistics, with fake statistics. Secretary of Education indicated that children should go to school. They have to take risks. Everybody takes risks. Take risks to ride a bicycle, to be an astronaut. There's risk. You have to take risks. No, we don't want our children to take risks to go to school. We're supposed to mitigate for any damage. We're supposed to keep them safe. So with stiff competition, that was one of the most ill-informed statements. Stiff competition, though, in this administration on this and other subjects. Okay, that's absurd. Okay, the, the risk to kids from going to school from this thing is lower than the risk to the kids going to school with the flu out and about, right? And so she's just lying about this sort of stuff. But this has become, again, the conventional wisdom is in the media. How dare we discuss going to school again? Like two weeks ago, again, half the left was like, kids need to go to school so parents can go to work. Because what do we do with all the single moms who need to work? And now it's like Nancy Pelosi's out there. The kids are at risk. The kids are not at risk. Like, that's the only thing we do know. That's the, like, we know very little about this virus. That is literally one of the only things we know. Okay, we're going to get into more of the media just stripping off the mask. It's incredible. It's incredible to watch in real time as the media just strips off the mask. It's particularly trying issues of race. We'll get to that in a second. First, right now, terrible time to go to the post office. Like, really bad time to go to the post office and stand in line in an air-conditioned facility with other people. Carrying packages sounds terrible. So what should you be doing? The same thing you always should have been doing. You should be using our friends over at stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can print postage on demand, skip those lines and crowds at the post office. The post office does a lot of great stuff, but why not just do that stuff directly from home? Stamps.com offers UPS services too, with discounts up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Here at Daily Wire, we've used stamps.com since 2017. No more wasting our time. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you're hunkering down right now. Whether you're a small business sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and you need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in the mailbox. No human contact required. It is indeed that simple. And like I said, with stamps.com, you get great discounts as well. Five cents off every first class stamp, up to 62% off shipping rates. This is a no-brainer. And right now, my listeners get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale, no long-term commitment. Just head on over to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. That's stamps.com, enter code Shapiro, stamps.com, enter code Shapiro. Okay, so it's not just on COVID-19 where the media have been doing yeoman's work on behalf of a narrative that is unrelated to the factual situation undergirding it. On race, obviously, the media have been doing the same thing in dramatic, dramatic ways. It's a good article by my friend John Lott over in Real Clear Politics talking about the media divide on reporting in race-based cases. He says, on Saturday, a man drove his car onto a Seattle freeway that had been closed by a Black Lives Matter crowd. The driver killed one person and seriously injured another after going the wrong way up a ramp and then around a barricade. Reporters notes, reports noted that the police, quote, don't believe impairment was a factor. Over the weekend, news outlets replayed the brutal hit, but here's one thing you won't learn from their coverage. The driver was black, his victims were white. NPR linked this attack to other car ramming incidents by, quote, right-wing extremists targeting Black Lives Matter protesters. 
They quoted a researcher about how these right-wingers were, quote, trying to intimidate the most recent wave of BLM protesters to stop their movement. The driver was a Seattle local named Awit Kilit, but you'll find scant mention of the driver's ethnicity in mainstream media coverage. You might have more easily learned that he was black by going to Australia's Broadcasting Corporation. The American national media don't note that Kilit's two victims were white. We can only find that out over at the UK Daily Mail. One case doesn't prove a pattern. It could be that while the American media knows almost everything about this killer, including his name, age, where he lives, they couldn't find information on his race. But um, probably not. Research conducted by the Crime Prevention Research Center, of which I am president, says John Lott, on all police shootings from 2013 to 2015, found that while local news coverage will often mention the race of the officer and the suspect, the national coverage is much more selective. While the evidence indicates that black officers are no less likely to shoot suspects than white officers, local news coverage of black officers shooting black suspects gets picked up by the national news in just 9% of cases. By contrast, 38% of the cases in which local news reported on a white officer shooting a black suspect get national coverage. Okay, so in other words, they're only covering the story when the story supports their broader narrative. We've talked about this very often on, on the program. And by the way, we, we put in calls here at Daily Wire. We put in calls to places like the LA Times and the New York Times looking for what is your objective journalistic standard on when you mention race in a particular case. Right? Why is it that you won't mention race if a black person kills a white person, but if a white person kills a black person, you will 100% of the time mention the race? It's not just the, the, the stories that get picked up at the national level. It's how the races are mentioned when the stories are picked up at the national level as well. This is not a shock. This is what the media do. And then they call it objective news coverage. Now, the, the most obvious about this sort of stuff is Don Lemon. So Don Lemon still bizarrely claims that he's an objective news reporter, which is just, I mean, you have to be an insane person to believe this. You, you have to have been dropped on your head as a baby, not one time, but like repeatedly and from a great height and with force in order to believe this contention. So here is Don Lemon explaining on Uproxx that he is not a biased reporter. He's just speaking his truth, which is the definition of bias. Okay, once you say it's my truth and not the truth, then you are no longer an objective news reporter. You're an opinion person. And my truth is your subjective perception of the world. The truth is an objectively verifiable description of a situation. Here is Don Lemon conflating the two and then claiming that he's an objective news reporter. My role as a journalist is to speak from my truth and from my lens and from where I come from. And I don't think those things are biases. I am a black man who grew up and who lives and survives and works in America. I have a certain perspective and a certain point of view, and I'm bringing that important part of the diverse um, culture of this company to the fore, and I should be. And so the people who don't want to hear that, they who don't want to hear my truth, will say to you that I am biased. I'm not mm -hmm. biased. This is my truth as a black man in America. He's not biased, guys. He's not biased at all. This is just his truth, which is bias, the definition of bias. It's pretty incredible stuff, right? The media's masks, are, they're all coming off and they don't even understand the masks are slipping, right? It, they, they keep going, why are we losing credibility? Because you keep promulgating narratives that are not true about the state of the United States because they are, quote unquote, your truths. And politicians pick up on this, by the way, right? Politicians pick up on all of this and then they run with it. Like the, Bill de Blasio has picked up on this and he's running with it. So people are getting shot like every single day in New York. They're seeing a vast uptick in the murder rate in New York City. Virtual, I believe last I checked, 100% of all people shot in New York City over the course of the last month are people of color. Nearly all of them are black. That is not something Bill de Blasio will, will talk about. Instead, Bill de Blasio will, will simply say that it's time to paint giant murals that say Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. And what will the media cover? 
Will the media cover this stuff? No, the media, the media won't cover the shootings, really. They'll, they'll cover it, but kind of tangentially. There's a headline yesterday, I believe it was from the AP, talking about, it's puzzling why the shootings have increased. I think they used the word mysterious to describe why the shootings have increased. Get the Scooby van, guys. Who the hell knows? Get the mystery machine. We got we to gotta get Shaggy on the case. Right, who could, rut roll, who, who could figure it out? Why would there be more shootings when you're trying to defund the police, you idiots? And when you're focusing on painting giant yellow signs that say Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower, ooh, we showed Trump, orange man bad, problem solved. So Bill de Blasio, there he was painting BLM in front of the Trump Tower. He said, this is an example of action we can take for black Americans. Wow, you, wow, America's a better place today because you painted some letters on a sidewalk. Boom, done, magical. Wow, the great irony is going to be, and the great horrible irony is going to be, when a person of color gets shot and dies on the logo that says Black Lives Matter outside Trump Tower, because that's what's going to happen in New York City eventually. Right? I mean, that is the symbol of Bill de Blasio's mayoralty, is a giant strip painting that says Black Lives Matter, and then people of color dying on it after being shot in his city. Okay, because that's what's actually going on in his city. Here's Bill de Blasio talking about all the wonderful things he's done for black people, like putting paint on a sidewalk. I mean, like, great work there, commie Bill. It was such an important message. The people of this city believe black lives matter. And we wanted to send that message to our whole city, but to our whole nation. And it can't just be words, Wolf. It has to be actions. So we're taking resources from our police department and putting it into youth programs. We're acknowledging institutional racism and coming up with specific plans to tear it down. We need to take this transcendent moment and get the most out of it. Oh man, transcendent moment. Paint some stuff. Let's paint peace murals. We've done it. Build a block. Wow. Wow. I mean, he, he's, really, he's really committed to this thing. It's, it's incredible. Really, really great. And by the way, then Trump came out and he was like, this, mur this mural is stupid and and Black Lives Matter means more than just the slogan. The organization is really radical. And de Blasio's like, ah, well, now I've trolled you. I've trolled you successfully. It's pure racism for Trump to oppose the mural. Okay, meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm just going to point out, two nights ago, five people in his city were shot and one person died. That was two nights ago. I don't know the, the updates from last night because the reporting hasn't come out yet. I'm sure more people were shot last night because that is the way that this is all working. Bill de Blasio, by the way, he also says that in the middle of a pandemic, he says he's not going to allow any large gatherings except for BLM gatherings. I'm not kidding. Is this thing he said? This is purely unconstitutional, by the way. You cannot do this. You cannot say only one type of protest is so important and so legit that they get to hold it. Right? That, that's not the way the First Amendment works in the United States. Here's Bill de Blasio, commie Bill, explaining. Things that here in the city can mean not just thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It's just not time for that now. What about protests? If people want to march down Fifth Avenue, are they going to be allowed to do so? Look, Wolf, this is always an area of real sensitivity. If you're just talking about health, we would always say, hey, folks, you know, stay home if you can. But we understand at this moment in history, people are talking about the need for historic changes. I mean, today in New York City, you know, recognizing the power and the meaning of the message Black Lives Matter, which we did in front of Trump Tower today. So basically, Blitzer asked him, so you're going to allow these protests? He's like, oh, maybe, kind of. He just said no large gatherings. Shut down those Hasidic Jews with their praying. But Black Lives Matter, absolutely, guys. I mean, this is just such an important moment. It's such an important moment. By the way, this giant important moment has not prevented people from shooting each other en masse in his city. The, the, New, York, the New York Police Department is now begging cops to delay retiring. So cops are like, I'm not sticking around for this. Are you crazy? Why would I possibly stick around for this? I've got the city that will prosecute me for defending myself. 
I've got a city that will not allow me to do my work with local communities trying to protect innocent citizens. You think I'm sticking around for this bull crap? According to a report by the New York Post, 503 cops in New York City have filed for retirement since May 25th. That was the day that George Floyd was killed. Okay, that is a 75% increase, a near doubling over the same period in 2019. The past week, 179 cops filed for retirement. In one week, compared to 35 in 2019, a 411% increase. So the city is now begging people, begging people not to leave. So Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York controls the NYPD. Bill de Blasio, what has he been relegated to? At the same time, people are shooting each other en masse in his city, and he's painting murals on the sidewalk. Here was Bill de Blasio's answer to how do you stop violence? He's begging people, please stop killing each other. I'm sure it's going to go great, Bill. I'm sure, again, there are, not, there are not enough slow claps on planet Earth to provide for this idiot, giant weirdo. You can't just do it with police. You need community leaders, clergy, community organizations to come together. We're having a particular issue in Harlem, and we've gathered community leaders from all over Harlem who in common cause this weekend are going to be out there with the police, shoulder to shoulder, saying we're not going to allow this violence in our community. The second piece is to get our court system up and running. It's been at a very low speed. The criminal justice system in this state is not fully functioning, and that's creating a lot of problems. Even when police arrest someone, the consequences aren't there. Oh, you mean like how your plan was to release everybody without bail? Like that that plan? Where you're taking career criminals, arresting them, and just releasing them without bail because bail is racist or something? Just, this guy, this guy. But the, the media continue to promulgate the narrative that Bill de Blasio is like a racial justice warrior while black people are getting shot en masse in his city. It's unbelievable. It truly is incredible. So listen, politicians respond to incentive structures. The media have created an incentive structure. The media incentive structure is you repeat the narrative that we want you to repeat, and we will bless you. We will bless you top down. You will always receive our love. And if you cross us, we will break you on the wheel of fire. If you're Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott, if you're Doug Ducey in Arizona, we'll break you on the wheel of fire. But if you're Bill de Blasio, you can basically let a virus like kill everyone in your city. And then the ones who are left, you can let them shoot each other. And everyone, and you know what? As long as you paint a mural, every, everything's good. Everything's perfectly good. The media create the incentive structure, guys. And that's why it kind of matters when the media suck at their jobs, royally suck at their jobs. And by the way, continue to promote a cancel culture that expediently exempts those who are allied with it. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that right now, bad time to go to an auto parts store. Instead, why not check out rockauto.com? It's a lot easier than going to an auto parts store. You're going to save a lot of money over going to an auto parts store. Sometimes auto parts stores will actually charge you differently based on whether you're a professional or a do-it-yourselfer. Not at rockauto.com. It's one low price for everybody. They charge much lower prices than the big box stores you're used to going to. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing the prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com, it's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? The RockAuto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. They've got amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. Go check them out right now at rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. That's rockauto.com. Check them out right now and save yourself time, save yourself money and get the best available parts for your vehicle. All righty, we're going to get to 
the, the mainstream media pushing forward the cancel culture, because this is the new move, is members of the media trying to shut the door behind them. Only they can be the great disseminators of information. Everybody else, you shut up. And we're going to try and bully all the social media companies into shutting the doors to everyone except like the New York Times. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, it is that time of the week when I give a shout out to a Daily Wire member. Today, it's Jay Light on Twitter who understands the importance of proper early education. In this picture collage are four children of varying ages from infant to probably middle or early high school, all holding the world's greatest beverage vessel. In one picture, the two oldest girls, Gael and Brena, are holding an American flag while wearing Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings t-shirts and impressively balancing two leftist tears tumblers each. That's a lot of leftist tears. The caption reads, Hey, Ben Shapiro, Gael and Brena are fans from Arizona, proud Americans and conservatives. They, they, they thank you for everything you do, appreciate having you as a role model and inspiration, and love their Leftist Tears Tumblr, all four of them. Just awesome. We do love hearing that. Thanks for the picture, and thanks to Yael and Brena for their support. Also, you should go pick up an early, early, do it right now, because you don't want to run out of stock. Signed copy of my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Time grows short. We are 11 days from release. How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. The most important book you're going to read this year. I really believe that. I think that right side of history was deeply important. I think How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps is about what makes America worth saving and what are the steps that are being taken to destroy it. I wrote it months ago, but it almost reads like prophecy now, frankly, not to tap myself too highly. But the reality is that I wrote about the destruction of America's history via the 1619 Project and how it was going to tear us apart, the destruction of America's philosophy of equal rights before law, rights pre-existing government, government answerable to the people, how those principles were under attack by a left that only cares about power. And, the, and how the America's culture of rights, the way we discuss rights with each other, freedom of association, freedom of speech, how that was all disappearing in favor of the idea that government can give you everything you want if only you give them all the power they need. Right? These are the factors in the disintegration of America. It really isn't about left versus right. It really is about people who want a set of principles that can hold us all together versus people who wish to divide the country and then have the slight majority beat the living hell out of the slight minority. Right? That, is the, that is the goal politically for the disintegrationists. The book is called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. You can pre-order your signed copy. I'm signing them right now at dailywire.com slash Ben. Again, that's dailywire.com slash Ben. You can even ask me a question with your, which, with your purchase. That may be read during my live signing event on the days of the book's release. So you'll enjoy that. If you're not already a Daily Wire member, by the way, you should also get a reader's pass at dailywire.com. Great value, three bucks a month. When you sign up, you get the first month for just 99 cents. You also get access to our mobile app articles, ad-free and access to exclusive editorials like this satire. Biden campaign proposes one debate moderated by the day nurse. Biden calls Nana. <laughs> I can only imagine that Clavin wrote that. So if you haven't checked out the reader's pass already, head on over to dailywire.com and sign up for just $1. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so the media and the left have united in promoting cancel culture, obviously. You're only canceled, by the way, if you are not a member of the cancel culture. So if you are a member of the braying mob, you will never be canceled. Right? As long as you bray along with the mob for people's heads, you're fine. Perfect example, Joy Reid. Remember that time that Joy Reid had like a bunch of really, really bad old tweets? Remember? Then this is the game that we play online is we find your bad old tweets. Capital B, capital O, capital T. Bad old tweets, trademark, right? Then we find your bad old tweets, we resurface them. And then we come after your career. Well, probably a year ago, a bunch of bad old Joy Reid tweets surfaced, like on race and on, and on homosexuality. And they're pretty yucky, right? And Joy Reid promptly claimed that she had been hacked retroactively. And Marty McFly got in his time machine and went back to 2006 and hacked into Joy Reid's blog page and put up all these old posts. Somehow the blogger, the mysterious one-armed blogger was never found. 
Okay, so it turns out that obviously that doesn't exist. She wrote the stuff, but she's not canceled. Joy Reid is not. She now has a brand new show on MSNBC. Oh, yeah. She has hosted the MSNBC weekend talk show AM Joy since 2016. She's going to move to the 7 p.m. hour on July 20th. Her show, The Readout, succeeds Hardball, and it has Chris Matthews, which is sad. I mean, first of all, I do miss my Chris Matthews impersonation. You can just imagine him at home. Jay Reid, they threw me out for being a jerk. And I put this, this lady on who has old tweets talking about homophobia. What the hell happened here? Well, the answer here is that Chris Matthews was out of step with the times. But Joy Reid is a full-fledged member of the Committee on Public Safety over at MSNBC. And she is willing to guillotine anyone who disagrees with the left, politically speaking. Miss Reid's promotion, says the New York Times, is a significant programming move by Cesar Conde, the new chairman of NBC's news network. Black women, including Gail King of CBS and Robin Roberts of ABC, hold leading roles in morning and daytime television, but none currently host a nightly evening show on a major network. The last to do so is Gwen Eiffel, who co-anchored co PBS NewsHour until shortly before her death in 2016. Evening and primetime news has been a universe of white men, really since I was growing up, said Miss Reid. For somebody who grew up as a nerdy kid obsessed with news, watching Nightline and Meet the Press, the idea of being a part of that family has always just been kind of overwhelming. Well, you know, good for her, because now it turns out the cancel culture does not, does not come after you if you are a member of the cancel culture. The New York Times buries down in this piece that Reid apologized for writing mocking claims that Charlie Crist, former Florida governor, was gay. But then there are additional posts where she opined that most straight people cringe at the sight of two men kissing. And a lot of heterosexuals, especially men, find the idea of homosexual sex to be gross. And she said Rachel Maddow held views at the most left-wing end of the political spectrum. She claimed the posts had been fabricated. She said, I genuinely do not believe I wrote those hateful things because they are completely alien to me. The person I am now is not the person I was then. Listen, you can apologize for stuff. Right? I mean, that's okay, apologizing for stuff, but not in cancel culture, you can't, unless you're a member of the cancel culture, in which case absolution is just one brutal beating of a third party around the corner. Right? If you want to absolve yourself, all you have to do is find somebody else to join in mobbing. Right? If you don't want to be mobbed, all you have to do is point to that guy over there and then join the mob, pitch, pick up that pitchfork, and you are good to go, which is exciting stuff. AOC, by the way, now pushing the cancel culture pretty hard. What's amazing about AOC pushing the cancel culture is literally a year ago, she was whining about how she was being canceled by the Democratic brass. And there are members of the Democratic Party who are like, maybe we shouldn't give money to AOC's committees when she is trying to primary sitting members of the Democratic Party. And she was like, this is mean, this is cruel. And now she's like, cancel culture doesn't even exist. So people who are actually canceled, like, don't get their thoughts published and amplified in major outlets. This has been a public service announcement. Okay, well, a lot of people who are canceled don't get their thoughts published and amplified in major outlets. In fact, I can think of somebody who was the editor of the New York Times op-ed page who just got fired for amplifying a message that the left didn't like in the New York Times op-ed page. Right, that editor got fired for that. She said, but it doesn't exist. She says, the term cancel culture comes from entitlement as though the person complaining has the right to a large captive audience and one is a victim if people choose to tune them out. Odds are you're not actually canceled. You're just being challenged, held accountable, or unliked. Oh, is that what the odds are? Is that what the odds are? Listen, nobody cares about being criticized more than AOC. Right? She claimed I was catcalling her when I suggested that she come on my Sunday special. Okay, this is a person who really, really does not like criticism in any way. And I get a lot of criticism. I don't care. I haven't been canceled, except on college campuses where I was literally canceled from some college campuses. Right? That, that's happened. Right? That's cancel culture. People attempting to, to go after advertisers or people attempting to, to go to, corporate, to corporations to try and blacklist people, that, that's cancel culture. But people criticizing me is not cancel culture. I've taken plenty of it. I'll take plenty more. And Sometimes I deserve it. 
But this notion from the from people like AOC that cancel culture purely does not exist at a time when people are openly trying to cancel people and ruin their businesses and ruin their livelihoods is pretty incredible. She says, I have an entire TV network dedicated to stoking hatred of me. A white supremacist with a popular network show regularly distorts me in dangerous ways. And it's a normal part of my existence to get death threats from their audience. You don't see me complaining about cancel culture. Well, actually, again, you did like a year ago. She says, many of the people actually canceled are those long denied a fair hearing of their ideas to begin with. And this is where we get into, it's not cancel culture unless I agree with the people who are being canceled. Then it's canceled culture. So she says, Palestinian human rights advocates have been canceled. Really, have they? Have they now? Because it seems like the entire editorial board of the New York Times routinely amplifies the ideas of so-called Palestinian human rights advocates. She says, abolitionists have been canceled. Abolitionists have been canceled? I, what? Like, of slavery? Abolitionists have been canceled? I feel like it's a pretty thoroughgoing ideology in the United States if you want to abolish slavery. Because anti-capitalists have been canceled. No, they just canceled themselves because they couldn't actually engage in the business world. And she says, anti-imperialists have been canceled. Really, anti-imperialists have been canceled. Are, are you serious now? She says, not spicy contrarians who want to play devil's advocate with your basic rights in the New York Times. Okay, if somebody is, if they have their editorials run and then canceled, like pulled because their ideas are not appropriate in the New York Times. That is the definition of a cancellation. They were literally canceled. But apparently cancel culture is good with AOC. She just recharacterizes this. The playing with words is pretty incredible here. The left does it all the time. Cancel culture is no longer cancel culture. It's just accountability. Racism is no longer racism. Support of the system is racism. Right? The linguistic tricks the left plays on a routine basis are really quite awful. And the media go along with them. And by the way, the media loves this cancel culture stuff because it allows them to, pl to play nightcrawler. Right, not, not the, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Nightcrawler, again, I've, I mentioned this on the show, it really is this. Jake Gyllenhaal plays a, a sociopathic photographer who makes money by freelancing. He'll, he'll hear a call on the, on the radio that there's been a car crash. He'll drive over there. He'll take pictures and sell it to the local news. And then he, just, he realizes, hey, wait a second. If I actually stage this stuff, I'm the first person on scene. Right? If I like kill somebody and then I take pictures of it, then I'm the first person who can make money off of that. Right? Well, that's the media when it comes to cancel culture. So the, 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 the media will do things like, a bad old tweet just resurfaced, guys. And it's like, well, how did it resurface? I stumbled on it while I was just searching the advanced search function on Twitter for specific people to cancel. And then, they, and then what they do is they'll say, and you know what's even bigger news? I'm going to call up an advertiser on that person's show. And I'm going to ask them whether they approve of this. That's not news. It's not news that people advertise on shows. And they've been doing this to Tucker Carlson for years. They've done this with me. They do this with everybody on the right. That's not news. That's activism. If what you're doing is literally indistinguishable from from the, from the sleeping giants or media matters of the world, then you're just sleeping giants or media matters. And that's fine, but just own it. But the media won't own it. So instead, you get articles like this one from the Washington Post about Goya Foods. So Goya Foods is a, is a Latino-owned food company, which does enormous amounts of charitable work in Latin and South America, like enormous amounts of this stuff. Okay, but Goya Foods CEO Robert Yunanu committed a sin, a grave, evil sin. He stood alongside President Trump. He said, we are all truly blessed at the same time to have a leader like President Trump, who's a builder. That's what my grandfather did. He came to this country to build, to grow, to prosper. So we have an incredible builder. We pray for our leadership, for our president. We pray for our country that we will continue to prosper and to grow. Terrible. Terrible. What was he there to do, by the way? He was there to mark Trump signing an executive order pledging to improve Hispanic Americans' access to educational and economic opportunities. Obviously a bad, bad man. Very bad. So AOC tweeted, Oh, look, it's the sound of me Googling how to make your own adobo because, because now I'm not going to go to Goya anymore. Now I'm, Castro then urged, Castro urged 
Julian Castro, urged Americans to, quote, think twice before buying Goya products. If the CEO praised Trump, it is time to remove support from this. And, and the media just run with it. The, the Washington Post has a long article about all of this. By the way, they employ thousands of people worldwide. In past interviews, members of the Uninu family have credited the brand's authenticity for its popularity. But says the Washington Post, maybe, maybe we should take a second look. We're just reporting, guys. We're just reporting. It is not worthy of a massive report on Goya Foods when a few losers on Twitter decide that they are going to boycott people that they don't like. Again, if you think the Goya is going under because the CEO praised President Trump, you're an idiot, but apparently it's news so long as the media make it news. This is the way the media push all this stuff. In the same way that the media push the boycotts of Facebook in order to get Facebook to lower its standards for what constitutes hate speech and therefore go after people that the media don't like and shut the doors of the media to other actors in the media. As I mentioned yesterday, New York Times spends tens of millions of dollars every year on Facebook marketing its own material, but they want to make sure that Facebook cuts down the popularity of people that they don't like. The, the, the media's malaction here is, it continues to be the great story in the, the unraveling of America. Because it turns out the people who are supposed to translate the experts to you are not translating. They're just telling you something different from what the experts say. It turns out the people who are supposed to bring you objective truth are giving you their truth. It turns out that the people who are supposed to be reporting on the news are instead part of the news and making the news. It turns out that that's what a lot of this is all about. And that's going to get better. That's going to get worse, not better, unfortunately. Again, this is not the only example. Again, there's a, there's a guy named Thomas Bosco who owns the Indian Road Cafe in Manhattan. He voted for President Trump in 2016. And now there are a bunch of people who are, who are trying to boycott him and the media are covering it. Right? The New York Times is covering it. It's not worthy of a media coverage story when a few people tweet that they don't want to eat at the local eatery because the owner supported Trump. That's just the media trying to pick a message and then push the message. That's all that's happening here. Okay, meanwhile, I'd be remiss if I did not comment on the Supreme Court ruling suggesting that President Trump has to turn over his tax records. So the Supreme Court ruled yesterday that prosecutors in New York can see President Trump's financial records. The decision said he has no absolute right to block release of the papers. Now, that, that's not a shock. I mean, his claim was overbroad, even Clarence Thomas. It was a 7-2 decision on this one because the claim Trump was making was overbroad. He was basically saying anything that could possibly impact my performance as president under any circumstances cannot be turned over to a local prosecutor. And that's way too broad a case. Even Clarence Thomas, like, that's way too broad a case. Thomas ruled that the problem was that Trump can then claim that once the, once the specific subpoena is made for the tax records, that he was likely to win it. So it should be remanded back to the district court and Trump should do that. And we should basically just dismiss the case from Cyrus Vance. But there is basic unanimity on the court that you don't, that, that, that you can simply block all access to paperwork because you're the president of the United States. Chief Justice John Roberts said, no citizen, not even the president, is categorically above the common duty to produce evidence when called upon in a criminal proceeding. He said, Trump can still raise objections to the scope and relevance of the subpoena. So what does that mean? Well, you know, the, the kind of going notion is that Trump lost the case and it's really bad for him, but not really, because this thing gets remanded back to the lowest level, and then Trump can simply say the subpoena is too broad. Uh, Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito dissented. President Trump then went after the court. Right? He, he said that the, the court is really bad and really terrible. Listen, the court may be bad and terrible for a variety of reasons, but this is not one of them. This, this ruling is actually not particularly controversial. And the claims that were being made by, by Trump's lawyers were simply too broad. Here was Trump going after the Supreme Court anyway. Well, the rulings were basically starting all over again, sending everything back down to the lower courts, and you start all over again. And so uh, from a certain point, I'm satisfied. From another point, I'm not satisfied, because frankly, 
This is a political witch hunt, the likes of which nobody's ever seen before. It's a pure witch hunt. It's a hoax. It just continues. It's been from before I got here, when Obama and Biden and everybody else was spying on my campaign illegally. Okay, the big problem for President Trump here is not the legal problem. He's not going to release his tax returns before the election. It's not going to happen. Okay, but the big problem is now the Supreme Court has said, you kind of should release your tax returns. That gives Biden a club to hit him with. And there's been a lot of talk about Biden not debating Trump until Trump releases his tax returns. So now the Supreme Court has said you should probably release your tax returns, or at the very least, I mean, they literally say this in the decision, that you should probably release the tax returns. Because of that, Trump now has less of a leg to stand on when he says, I don't want to release my tax returns. And then Biden says, you're not obeying a Supreme Court dictate. Now, it isn't a Supreme Court dictate, but that's not how politics works. And so it looks like Trump is hiding something, obviously, which is why the White House didn't have great answers when Kayleigh McEnany was asked, isn't he kind of hiding something, not turning over his tax returns at this point? The president can release his taxes whenever he likes. So why shouldn't Americans at this point believe that the president isn't trying to hide something? In it? You know, the media has been asking this question for four years, and for four years, the president has said the same thing. His taxes are under audit, um, and when they're no longer under audit, he will release them. But I would also note the excruciating ruling for House Democrats, who were very much called out for their partisan games. Uh, they also subpoenaed the president's uh, information, financial information, and Justice Roberts said far from accounting for separation of powers concerns. The House's approach aggravates them. Okay, so there were two cases here. One was about whether Congress could grab records from the President of the United States. That remains somewhat controversial. So Roberts basically said that the courts have to perform a careful analysis that takes adequate account of the separation of powers principles at stake, including both the significant legislative interests of Congress and the unique position of the President. Clarence Thomas said the Congress does not have the ability to just grab private unofficial documents for any random citizen. That's not what Congress is there to do. You can do this under the impeachment power, but you actually have to do it under the impeachment power. The, the one about the DA, right, which is Cyrus Vance in New York, who's, who's under attack from his left flank, that ruling basically said that Cyrus Vance does have the ability to subpoena for these records. He was joined in the majority by Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan. Roberts dismissed the idea that the stigma of being subpoenaed will undermine Trump's leadership at home and abroad, and he pushed back against the president's contention that having to comply with the state criminal subpoena would distract him from his job as president, according to SCOTUS blog, which does good analysis of these sorts of issues. Roberts stressed that the Constitution does allow such investigations. The mere fact the president is served with the subpoena is not likely to have much of an effect on the president's reputation. Roberts also declined to adopt a rule suggested by the feds that supported Trump in this case that would have required state grand jury subpoenas for the president's private papers to meet a higher standard, demonstrating, for example, the evidence is critical that it cannot wait until the end of a president's term. He said this would create a double standard because federal subpoenas to the president, unlike state subpoenas, would be allowed whenever the evidence is material. So Roberts basically ended up sending the case back to the lower courts, and Trump can raise further arguments challenging the subpoena in this case as appropriate. So... You know, the, Kavanaugh voted with them, with the majority. Uh, Gorsuch voted with the majority. They both agreed that the president is not absolutely immune from state criminal subpoenas and that the case should go back to the district court. They would require state grand jury subpoenas like this one to meet a higher standard that would require a showing of demonstrated specific need. Clarence Thomas dissented. He said the president is, isn't immune from the issuance of the subpoena, but that the president may be entitled to relief from the enforcement of a subpoena. And Alito also dissented in this case. Bottom line here, is that, again, it's more of a political problem than a legal problem for Trump. Because by the time this whole thing works its way through the system, it's already July, the election will have already happened. And by the time this goes back to a local court and there's a big legal fight over all of this, it's probably November, December. But 
All it really does is it puts back on top of the table. Why is Trump hiding all this information? It'll set the speculation going anew, and that is is not a great shot. So another hit for the president politically, even though it really isn't that much of a hit at him, legally speaking. All righty, folks. Well, we have reached the end of today's show. But don't worry. Next week, there's much more show to come, and we'll recap everything for you. Plus, make sure you tune in this Sunday for the Sunday special compilation of the intellectual dark web. Couldn't be more relevant today. Go check it out on Sunday. You're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.